Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and its Missions Fellowship, The Bread of Life, in Boise, Idaho. The purpose of Church Partnership Evangelism is to equip and engage the body of Christ around the world in personal evangelism, personal discipleship, and the planting of new churches. God is blessing and multiplying this work. If you want to learn more about it, go to traincpe.org. And to learn about our fellowship here in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We're at the beginning of a second message on Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. And in order to prepare ourselves for this message, let's simply read these verses together. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, we looked at this passage last week and basically what we said and introducing it and kind of setting a vantage point in which we're looking upon this is that we can look upon this from an instinct that all human beings have. Paul is, in a sense, speaking to this instinct, and he's, in a sense, addressing it, and he's putting it in its proper place. There's an instinct that all people have had that is roiling with every human being. It's an instinct that they try to come up with answers for. The answers they come up with produce false religions and false faith, and they produce legalism, and they produce a hierarchy of people that think that they're morally superior to other people, but the basic desire is this. There is in human beings a basic desire to be good and righteous. You ask any little boy or any little girl and ask them if they want to be a good little boy and a good little girl, and they'll say yes. Something within them, some impulse within them, desires to please and desires to be good and desires to gain the honor of their parents and those that preside over them. Even though we grow up and we become adults, this instinct And this desire for goodness never goes away from us. Last week we briefly spoke about the different ways in which those instincts are in a sense inflamed within us and cultivated within us by our parentage and by our DNA and by the society we live in and by the government we live in. But ultimately said that this instinct to be good is something that is ultimately stoked and inflamed within us by God himself because God made us in his image and God created within us this desire and Jesus says that the spirit has come to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, the Spirit's work still in this hour, in this day, is to place within people a convicting desire. First, they know they're sinners, but it's in light of this. They want to be righteous, and they're not. And Because they want to be righteous and they're not, there's also this creeping conviction that comes upon them by the Holy Spirit that they're facing judgment. And I can speak from experience that you can go to any culture, in any place, in any land, and talk to people from any religion, and you'll find that they have these instincts. They know they're sinners. They want to be right. They're fearing judgment. And they didn't come this as a part of their own natural theology. They didn't reason this from the development of their DNA, from their parentage, from their culture. Ultimately, it's something that is drawn up from within them because the Spirit of God is stirring these instincts and these desires within them. But what it does is this desire produces an ongoing effort in some way or another to prove yourself, to gain some righteousness for yourself, to somehow get to that point in which you think you're fit to be comfortable in your own skin and right with yourself and then maybe right with others and then ultimately right with transcendence or God and 
The other thing that's established by that is that it, it never really happens. You never quite get there. There's always this sense of insecurity, no matter what you've done, that you've left some part of the box unteched, some part of the accomplishment unfulfilled. And, and then if you're really honest, you'll see that not only even not gain ground, but very often you're losing ground in this pursuit to be righteous. So people come up with religious ideas that there's going to be a purgatory or there's going to be a series of reincarnation that you have to go through and that you'll just keep trudging along until sometime you reach it. But here's the net effect of it. This pursuit to establish your own righteousness puts you onto and into an interminably long slog that never seems to end. And you never quite get there. And Paul comes along and says not only is it a long slog, but it is impossible. It is a futile effort. You are not righteous. Not only are you not righteous, but in your lack of righteousness, you are under the judgment of God and you're under the wrath of God. You're facing a God, a righteous God, whom you're not ready to stand before. And you're trying to build upon a rotten foundation. And so, as we read last week in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, all that effort and all that work to be righteous, all your attempt to find your righteousness in some form of idolatry or all your attempt to be righteous by developing some kind of positive moralism that you follow or you Jews falling upon the law, all of it you're building upon a foundation that's completely rotten because in your own character, in your own self, you're broken and you're fallen, you're unrecognizably sinful. You read Romans 3 verses 10 through 18, you might have a hard time recognizing yourself there. But it's what God sees. It's what you're trying to build on and it's not going to work. Well, this instinct to be right reveals more, though, than a pursuit for just positive status. Beyond wanting to be right, I just want to add to this. It reveals something that's true about us in human nature, which is this. We were made for a unique glory. We were made for a greatness that has not yet fully been realized. For a glory and greatness that comes from being with God and knowing God and residing with God. Moses was brought nearer to God through a series of experiences. You might remember that he was in the wilderness and he saw a bush that was burning and there he came to the bush and God spoke out of the bush that was burning and not being consumed. Moses, take your sandals off your feet because you're on holy ground and keep your distance. God revealed and spoke to Moses at that time and then Moses was sent by God to be a liberator for the people of Israel who were slaves in Egypt. There, through a series of tremendous judgments that God brings upon the nation of Israel, God squares off against all the supposed powers of the gods of Egypt, using their powers against them to bring destruction, showing that he's the all-powerful God. And so through all those judgments, God is revealing himself more and more to Moses and the people of Israel. And that God leads them out of their escape, and he goes before them as a pillar of fire, and he actually puts the fire of his presence between the people of Israel and the advancing armies of Egypt, and he divides the Red Sea and they go through it and he brings them Mount Sinai where God comes down and his presence comes down on the, of Mount Sinai with fire and with thunder and lightning and wind and the people hold back and they don't want to hear the voice of God and God calls Moses up in the mount and God speaks to Moses. We know these stories in which Moses is giving these tremendous encounters with God and yet as he's experiencing these things, he wants more. He knows that there's something more that he wants to realize, something more that he wants to experience. It's as if it provokes within his human nature what he was made for. And so Moses is found saying, God, 
Show me your glory. You've revealed so much. And God's glory is the concentrated expression of all the fullness and realization of all of his attributes. It's the full weightiness of the attributes of God. God, he says, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. All these things I've seen have been somewhat of a vision or understanding of you that is mitigated to me through different experiences, but I want to look directly in your face and see you. And God responds. God says in verses 19 and 20, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. You can't look fully upon all of my glory, for no man shall see me and live. Even Moses, with all that he experienced and all that God had showed him, was yet not fit to gaze on God without some veil and some mitigation between himself and God. And here is man who has sinned. And our sin has driven us from a realized presence of God. And in that sinful state, we human beings are not fit for that presence. In fact, if we were brought into that presence, we couldn't bear it. We couldn't bear the fully realized presence of God and live. But our instinct to be right reveals this impulse that we were made for God and we long to come into God's presence and we long to see Him and long to be with Him. And it affirms what Augustine said, which was, Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in Thee. But the problem is we're not righteous. And we cannot be righteous by our own efforts. We're polluted wells, not capable of pumping out from those wells righteousness to God. Instead, we pump out pollution and unrighteousness. What does Isaiah 64, 6 say? All of our righteousness are like all of our good works, are like filthy rags. So Paul has gone on to demonstrate that this is the state that we're in and that under the state we're under God's judgment and that all of our efforts to remove it by following laws or rules and by seeking to be good in ourselves fail. They won't bring us into God's presence. We can't establish our righteousness through keeping the law. We're without any capacity in ourselves. There's no rule that we can follow. Don't make us right with God. This is where Paul is getting to. This is where Paul has been explaining. Here's what we spoke about last week. So Paul is speaking to these individuals in the last part of chapter 1, all of chapter 2, the first part of chapter 3, and he's bringing this conclusion that there's nothing they can do, and they're completely unrighteous, and they're fully under God's judgment. And, and all through that, it's as if Paul is in a diatribe. That is, he's within a dialogue between these individuals. He's having an argument with these different parties, and now these parties concede to what he's saying. They see the darkness of their incapacity, the darkness within their own souls, the darkness of any future. They have no future before them that they can pursue in their own efforts, and they yield to him. And at the very moment at which they yield to him, Paul then, through the Holy Spirit, extends hope to them. Paul says, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed. And Paul gives the but of this conversative statement that when you think you have no hope, God has something to offer you. God has an answer for your long slog and your vain, futile efforts to be right in your own skin and be right before him. And he says, but now, and that is God has a promise against this internally long effort to prove yourself, God in the immediate moment, right now, can make you completely unrighteous. Right now, you can have a standing before God that will reverse and create a concrete reality that you can always live and reside in where you are right before God. The righteousness of God. 
This means that God not only gives you something, it's not only sourced from God, it not only comes from God, but it is it's substances of God himself. A righteousness that belongs to God to come over and come upon you in the place of all your filthy rags. And he says it's been revealed. That means it's not worked for, it's not achieved by effort. But it's simply made known to us and brought down to us by God's own revealing. And it, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The faith that brings us to God's righteousness has an object. This is what we said. It sets upon the person of Jesus Christ. That faith does. It sets on Jesus. Jesus lived and as a human being lived a perfectly sinless and righteous life and he gives to those who believe in him that righteousness. It's the righteousness of God. And in that righteousness, we come back into the presence of God. And in that righteousness, we will one day see God and we will experience the full realized glory of God's presence that we were made for, it's coming to us. What a glorious day is coming for the true believer when we shall live forever in the blazing sun of God's perfect righteousness, having been perfected in Him. Now, before we sign off from this broadcast, I want to remind you of a ministry website that we've developed called testyourtestimony.com. Our concern is that there are many in our churches that do not have a true born-again relationship with Jesus Christ through faith. And so they face the prospect of his rejection at the judgment seat on the last day. Our pity for these has made us develop a site where persons can apply the command of 2 Corinthians 13.5 to test themselves to see if they're in the faith, to see if Christ is dwelling in them by faith. So please go to that site, testyourtestimony.com, and prayerfully consider someone else you can share this with. For now, I look forward to our next time together partaking of the bread of life. Till then, may God bless you.